you so much. Uh, it is so good to be back with you. Uh, it was great uh, visiting a few weeks ago. So to have the honor and the privilege to be here again is a huge blessing. Thank you so much for having me back. I love Pastor Tony, and an extension of that, I love his church. So it is such a privilege uh, to be here this morning. Uh, you, you can just call me David if that's easier for you. <laughs> so is my Korean name that I don't even use. <laughs> so uh, if David is easier, you know, that's, that's fine too. Tony always called me Sokwa. Uh, he's the only one that calls me that. But uh, you're, you're, you're welcome to do that. But if David is easier, that's fine too. Um, you know, uh, at my church, we're going through a sermon series on being the church. And at this moment, we're going through the seven churches in Revelation. And today, uh, I'm going to speak about the fourth church, Thyatira, um, because uh, that's what I studied last week. And I wanted to give you the most fresh uh, sermon that I possibly could. Uh, so we'll, we'll look into that church uh, a little bit today. Pastor Tony, whenever he comes to my church to guest speak, he speaks for about an hour. He's the longest guest preacher we have, uh, but it only feels like five minutes. Uh, he's just so good, so gifted, so talented. We wish we can hear him all day long, actually, but he doesn't want to stay that long, you know? So uh, one hour. Uh, so usually I preach very short sermons, about half an hour, but today I, I thought, you know, I'm at Pastor Tony's church. <laughs> you know, why not model after him? <laughs> so maybe it'll be a little bit longer than usual. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, there's this pastor that I listen to sometimes, more as of late, called John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York. Uh, he's from Australia. A very influential church, influential pastor, and really renowned uh, these days and well-known. I like him because uh, he has a very good, in my opinion, a very good balance of sound doctrine. He's, his church is charismatic, but he has a very good balance of sound doctrine, and because he's charismatic, he actually believes in what the Bible says, <laughs> and he believes in the power, and he, in, he really believes that God moves and acts through prayer and things like that. So I, I love him because he has a really good balance, and um, recently uh, he was sharing a story uh, when he was in uh, Bible college. He's from Australia, and uh, when God called him into the ministry, he had a dream to come and study in the States, to go to seminary here, to be trained for the ministry. Now, that's a dream for every pastor, no matter what part of the world. Everybody wants to come here to get a seminary education, to get training, because we have the best seminaries here in America. Uh, so for this pastor, too, when he got called into the ministry, he, uh, it was his dream to come to Bible college in the U.S., and God opened doors for him to do so. And him and his family, they came to the States, and he uh, started uh, Bible college. He was so excited and thrilled because he thought, oh, man, I'm going to be with Christians the whole time, and these are all godly people. This is a Bible college. We're going to be praying all the time. We're going to be talking about the Bible all the time. All the teaching will be about the Bible. So he was super excited and super thrilled. Um, but he was living in the, in the dorms at the time of the seminary, and he had multiple guy roommates. And one day, he went into his dorm, 
and he found one of his roommates. Uh, I think everybody's of age here. I'm just scanning the room a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, he found one of his roommates um, having sex with a girl in the dorm. And then a month later, so, so he was, when he saw that happen, <laughs> he was very confused and, you know, troubled <laughs> because he, that's not something he expected to find in Bible college. He didn't know what to do. It was an awkward moment, of course. And he simply said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he left the room. <laughs> a month later, he went into his dorm again. Same girl having sex with a different roommate uh, in the same room. A month later, <laughs> he goes into his dorm again. Obviously, he doesn't want to go to his dorm anymore. Right? <laughs> a month later, he goes to his dorm again. This time, he finds one of his roommates, guy roommate, uh, having sex with another guy. By this time, he's just confused and troubled and just doesn't know what to do. This is not what he expected in a Bible college. This is not what he dreamt of when he came to the States. So he went to his upperclassmen to just try to process this, make sense out of this, try to get some advice and to know what to do. And he told what happened to his upperclassmen and basically the advice that he got was, hey, this is America, this is college, this is normal. In America, in college, this is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> You're supposed to expect things like this to happen, so just relax. This is normal. Don't make a big deal out of it and just move on with life. Didn't help talking to the upperclassmen too much. He was troubled. And he thought about what his upperclassmen said, and he came to the conclusion that, no, this is not normal. Like, this is a Bible college. This maybe happens everywhere else in America, but this is not supposed to be happening in a Bible college. And it hit him that some kind of a, a spirit of tolerance had penetrated this school, had sipped into the school that had numbed the relationship with God of, of the students in this school. Sin had become normalized. A spirit of tolerance was thriving in that Bible college. All of those roommates that had planted uh, harmless seeds in college uh, of having sex with, uh, you know, uh, girls and, and guys. All of them ended up having uh, marital problems when they got older. He came back to haunt them. One guy started secretly two families. Eventually, he was forced to abandon and leave one, breaking the hearts of his children and his spouse. None of them ended well because of the harmless seeds that were planted in college. Now, today's passage, uh, you know, Jesus talks to his people and his church about tolerance. Now, if you are not a Christian here today, this, me this message is not for you. So please don't be stumbled or don't be offended. Uh, continue in your journey uh, looking uh, for a relationship with Christ. But this is for the believer, for the one who considers himself part of the body of Christ, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. To those, to the followers of Jesus, to his church, Jesus is asking us a question today. Um, even if we're doing well in every area of life as a Christian, what will Jesus do to you and to me 
If there is sin that is neglected in our life that we are simply tolerating in our life, what would Jesus say to you as a Christian and to your church if we if there is sin in our lives that is neglected that we're not addressing, and if we're just tolerating sin in our life? We're going to see what Jesus has to say to the church of Thyatira, and through that, see what he has to say you and to me today as well. Uh, please open with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Once again, that's the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, this is what the word of God says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear, the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira was the most insignificant city out of the seven cities that Jesus writes to, seven churches that he writes to. It was the most insignificant, the less impressive. It wasn't like Ephesus or Pergamum, which were great cities, powerful cities. Thyatira was the, most, the least impressive out of them all, the least important one. But Jesus writes the longest letter to the least important city, to the least important church in some way, and also writes the harshest letter uh, of them all to the church of Thyatira. Thyatira was very insignificant. We don't really have a lot of history of that place. But what we do know, one fun fact is, you know Lydia, who, com who was the first European convert for Paul under the teaching of Paul when he shared the gospel with her and later on went to support Paul and his uh, associates? She came from Thyatira. But Thyatira was, although insignificant, they had powerful guilds. They're like uh, associations or strong unions uh, today. But they were much more powerful than a, than a union. Economic life, employment depended on these guilds. You had to belong to one of them if you wanted to be able to survive. 
uh, in this city. But they also were the center of civic life and religious life. They also had political power. These were powerful guilds. Each guild controlled a section of Thyatira, and each guild had their own god. The only way for you to survive in Thyatira was to belong to one of these guilds and honor their gods through idol worshiping, and sexual immorality was part of it because the ritual, the religious ritual that they had included sexual immorality with prostitutes at the time. So this is the kind of city that, uh, you know, Jesus is writing to. And Jesus knows that his church is in an environment like this. This is a place where for Christians it was very, very difficult to survive in. If you didn't belong to the guilds, you were locked out of the economic system. There was no way for you to get employment. They would come and tear down, to destroy your business. If they knew you were a Christian that was not bowing to the gods of the culture, if you were not tolerating, compromising with the culture because you were a Christian, you got persecution, even potentially, possibly death. It's a very difficult place for Christians to be in, and Jesus knows his church is in a situation and an environment in a city like this, so he writes to them a letter. The longest letter. And he says, I know. I know what you're going through. I know the kind of environment you're trying to be faithful in, to survive in. I know all the struggles you have. I'm writing you to let you know that I know. You are my church, and I know. I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. You are not ignored. I know what you're going through. And then he identifies himself as the son of God to the church of Thyatira. This is the title that he gives himself. In each church, he gives himself titles that are appropriate for each churches. But to Thyatira, he starts by saying, I am the son of God. This was a title that he used to uh, symbolize the fact to show the church of Thyatira that he's divine, that being the son of God meant that he's God, that he's divine, a sign of majesty, sovereignty, authority, and power. It was a title, a kingly title, a priestly title, meaning I'm there to tend, exhort, help the church. I'm there in the midst of the church. I'm, as, I'm there as a priest. If you I'm there as a priest, and also we'll see later, he's there as a judge. He's there to bless the church or to discipline the church, depending on what the church needs at the moment. That's the title that he's trying to use. Not only that, but in Thyatira, the main deity was Apollo. Apollo was the son of Zeus. Zeus was a god, uh, you know, back then, recognized god. And Apollo was his son, so Jesus, in essence, in essence, is telling the church in Thyatira who's tempted to bow to Apollo, hey, I am the real son of God. <laughs> Apollo is not the son of God. I am the son of God. Do not go and bow to gods that are false and counterfeit, that don't have the power to deliver you, that are man-made. I am the real son of God. Do not stray. Do not go to them. You can come to me. I'm the one with authority. I'm the one who's actually God. I'm the one who can actually answer prayer. I'm the one who actually knows your situation. I'm the one who can actually do something about it. It's not Apollo. Do not bow to Apollo. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, 
So with this title, that's, that's, that's what he's trying to remind them again, who Jesus is. And then later on he says, you know, he says he's the one that has eyes like a flame of fire or feet like burnished bronze. These are titles that he brought from the book of Daniel, which in essence, back in the book of Daniel, these are titles used for military purposes. It was to show the fact that Jesus is actually judge and the one who brings judgment to his people, to his churches, if they need discipline. However, it was also a title of comfort because he sees all. He understands everything that his people are going through. He can see through the people's hearts, the situations in the churches, the feet of bronze. This had this, this, has this meaning of, of power and ability. He's not only the one who sees, but if something needs to be addressed, if somebody needs help, he has the ability and the power to actually do something about their current situation. This is who Jesus is. He starts by letting them know this is who, remember who God is. You know, oftentimes when life gets so hard, when life gets so difficult, the best thing that we can do is to remember who God is. You know, the reason why we fear, the reason why we worry, the reason why we sin is because we forget who God is. God becomes too small. So we go to sin, so we go to fear, and we go to worry instead. But when we are reminded who God is, doesn't matter what's happening in the world, if we are reminded who God is, the Son of God, the one with eyes of fire, burnished bronze feet, this is God, this is who God is, all of a sudden, there's peace. The bigger God gets, the smaller the problems become. The bigger God gets, the more fearless we become. The bigger God gets, all of a sudden, our worries and struggles, they don't seem that big. So a, so a church that really, really needs to be reminded <laughs> to not go for counterfeit alternatives like Apollo to find comfort in life and help, he's first and foremost reminding me, this is who Jesus is. I am the son of God. I am the real son of God. Apollo is not the son of God. You have to remember who I am. And that's the first thing that, you know, Jesus uh, tells to a church that, like Thyatira, uh, that is, you know, going through so much at this moment. And then he starts to commend them. You know, commend them. He knows that they're actually not a bad church. There's a lot of things, a lot of things they're actually doing right. This church, he knows their works, Jesus says. They work very hard. This is a church that is working very hard. This is a church that has love. You know, the Ephesian church was rebuked by Jesus because they, they left their first love. They stopped loving each other, they stopped loving God, and they stopped loving the lost world. They grew in, in knowledge and theology and sound doctrine, but their hearts grew cold. And that's why Jesus rebuked, you know, the Ephesian church. But the Thyatira church, they didn't have that problem. They kept on loving. They were a loving church. They were loving their members. They were loving God. They were loving a lost world. They did not stop being a witness to the lost, they did not lose a heart for evangelism, for missions. They were not ashamed of Jesus. They would share the gospel with people in the workplace, in the schools, 
They were loving. They didn't make life just about themselves, become inward focused or self-centered as a church like Ephesus did, like it's so tempting for so many churches to do. They were actually still a loving church, doing a pretty good job. They had faith. They had love. They had faith. They did not. They were not ashamed of Jesus. They still believed that Jesus was the only one that can save them, only Lord, only God. They did not compromise their faith. They had faith in Jesus. They also have faith that he will deliver them. He can sustain them. He can give them their daily bread, even though they're locked out from the economic system because of the guilt and because they will not bow to the pagan gods. They knew somehow, someway, in a place like Thyatira, Jesus would provide for them. They believed Jesus would take care of them. They did not lose their faith. And of course, when love and faith are strong, service and perseverance overflows in a church. Not only that, not only did they have love and faith and service and perseverance, but the best trait of them all, they actually did greater, greater works than first. You know, like, like they did not leave their first love. Like they had a good start, but right now they're actually doing greater than the beginning. They were growing more spiritually. They were maturing more spiritually. They were growing numerically. They were still going strong. It was not just they were good in the beginning and then they burnt out and then, you know, they stopped serving and then they got bitter and everything was downhill. They had a good start. But more impressively, they kept going stronger. Their works now are better, greater than the works that they did at first. This church was impressive. Who lives that way? Who can actually go strong 10, 20, 30 years in? It's usually in the beginning that, you know, we're gung-ho, fired up, and then we go downhill from there. <laughs> but to actually go strong in the later years, to still be passionate, to still be faithful, to be going strong more than the beginning, well, that's impressive. That's a really, really good church. So they had a lot of good you know, going for them. But even to a church like this, even to a church like this, Jesus said, I have this against you have this against you. You are tolerating, you are tolerating Jezebel. You are not addressing her. You are not confronting her. You are tolerating her in the church. Jezebel was not her real name. It was, uh, you know, a name that was used uh, by Jesus uh, for her to show wickedness, evil personified. Uh, because Jezebel in the Old Testament, that's who she was. She symbolized wickedness. She's the queen that married Ahab, the king of Israel, that pursued and killed the prophets of God. Jezebel, her name literally means uh, Baal or Baal or Baal is my prince. So she killed and removed the prophets of God from the royal household, and she brought prophets of Baal to replace them in Israel. 
She made the king go astray. Ahab was the king of Israel. She made him worship Baal. She made the people of God worship Baal. She killed the prophets of God. She was evil personified. She was wicked. She made the people of God stray from God. She made them uh, stray from God to worshiping Baal at that time. And this woman in Thyatira, Jezebel, is doing the same thing. She was a woman that the church was afraid of for some reason. <laughs> she was a dominant personality. Nobody would confront her. She, they were just tolerating her. She was, she, people were scared. This was a strong woman with a strong personality. Uh, you know, with, nobody was confronting she didn't submit to church leadership. She was her own leader. She was a prophetess. She had her own theology, the deep secrets of Satan, Jesus calls it. And she, was, she gained a following in the church. Members of the church started to follow her teaching and her ways. She was straying the people of God from God. And uh, her, her deep secrets of God, with, uh, the deep secrets of Satan, which she called deeper secrets of God. She was telling the people, hey, I have a deeper word of God than the, the, than the pastors in Thyatira have for you. God has given me a deeper word, and, you know, it's kind of a secret, and, and, and I'm going to just share with some of you so that, you know, you, you can have access to this deep secret. Jesus calls it the, the, the deep teachings of Satan, but she called it the deep teachings of God. And basically, she was telling everybody, hey, it was a form of cheap grace. Hey, uh, you know, Jesus forgives. You know, Jesus forgives, so uh, you don't have to live a hard life. You can just, you can just go to the, you know, guilds and uh, participate in their festivals and eat meat sacrificed to idols and have sex with the prostitutes as part of their religious ritual. You know, Jesus will forgive you. You don't need to worry about him being mad at you. Oh, he'll forgive you. This was her teaching. And then she had this kind of Gnostic teaching like, hey, you know what? In all reality, this is the deep secret of God. The body doesn't matter. Only the spirit matters. If you keep the spirit pure, then you're good with God. So just with your body, do whatever you want. Eat the meat sacrificed to idols. Have sex with whoever. God will not be mad at you. Your spirit is what matters, not the body. was telling the people, hey, you know, just ease up. Don't be so uptight. Jesus doesn't want you to suffer. Jesus doesn't want you to not have a job. Just blend in with the culture. Just tolerate whatever the culture wants, and you'll be okay. You know, false teaching always sounds so sweet. That's why here it says, she seduced False teaching is never sour. <laughs> it's always sweet. It's poetic. It moves you. It always sounds right. It makes you rationalize sin because it makes your life easy instantly. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so good. It's so amazing. So a lot of these people are like, yeah, you know, she's right. Yeah, God, God wants us to be happy. God, God wouldn't mind. He forgives anyway. It sounds so right. It sounds so sweet. So many of them were falling for her teaching. 
problem was that the, the problem that the church in Thyatira had was the problem of tolerating sin, the problem of tolerance. Now that's foreign to many of us living today because uh, in being intolerant is about the only universal sin that everybody agrees upon, <laughs> right? So to actually say that tolerance is a sin that God takes seriously wouldn't sit well with even many Christians today. That's like bad language, just bad words. <laughs> but the problem that the church in Thyatira had was tolerance. It was a sin of tolerance. They had made sin trivial. This is a temptation that in every generation the churches of God face. Satan will always tempt the church to make sin trivial. In every single generation, the church will have to face this test. Some will conquer, some will compromise. Um, that's, that's in 1 Kings 2, uh, it says that you know, Ahab, the king of Israel, he considered it trivial that Jezebel was his wife. I mean, he didn't think much of it. Later on in 1 Kings, it says that Ahab was the king that did the most evil out of all the kings of Israel. <laughs> Something that started as trivial brought destruction, death, and murder to the people of God, to the prophets of God, to the king himself. Something that started as, eh, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. So trivial. Ended up causing the most evil in the history of the nation of Israel. You know, sin is funny. We as Christians, it's really, really hard to sin one time. We have our guards up and we gotta be Christian, we gotta be holy, so it's hard to sin one time. But it becomes easier to sin a second time. And a third time. And a fourth time. And all of a sudden, a time comes that we're actually advocating for that sin, and we get mad at God for being so intolerant. That's what tolerance does. It's hard in the beginning, but eventually it turns you completely away from God, and now you are fighting God because he's so intolerant. The same things that we used to consider sin before, now we're telling God, God, you're so intolerant, you don't make sense. I don't agree with you. And... We leave, this is, this is why tolerance is such a big problem. Eventually, we leave God to worship the gods of the culture. Our hearts are stolen from worshiping Jesus to now worshiping the pagan gods. It just started as something as simple as just a little tolerance, trivial. Over time, we go from worshiping Jesus to worshiping Baal. We go from worshiping God to worshiping the gods of the culture. That's what tolerance does. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't have COVID, by the way. Just to get that out of the way, in case you're worried. Because my son got me sick. So. But I am sick, so <laughs> maybe I shouldn't get too close to you guys. Uh, you know the LGBT community? Many, many years ago, they had to hide from the society because nobody would accept them if they actually 
came out as being gay or lesbian. There was a time in our country <laughs> when things were like that. But you know, the LGBT community had a strategy for many, many years. Many, many years they had a strategy that they used on their ads and on TV and everywhere they could. They had one simple strategy to change a society that was opposed to their lifestyle to supporting and loving their lifestyle. They had only one simple strategy. Their strategy was to make their opponents smile. That was the only strategy they worked on. It was a strategy that they had from the very beginning. Every single ad, they, their only goal was to somehow find a way to make their opponents smile. One crack into their armor, one crack, one smile. That's all we need. And then they succeeded massively, didn't they? <laughs> Society is different today. <laughs> now if you oppose uh, a gay lifestyle or, or a homosexual lifestyle, you're the enemy. They did a really good job. One simple smile. And they changed an entire society and how they are perceived even how churches perceive them today. Huh? So that's how, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, uh, Jezebel is saying, yeah, Jesus will not be mad at you. Sin is trivial. You know, it's a little bit of tolerance. Jesus doesn't say the same thing. Jesus doesn't preach cheap grace. Hey, I came to die for you. You think that's cheap? <laughs> I came to die for your sins. <laughs> you know, that's not cheap. And then Jesus gives the strongest warning to the church of, church of Thyatira. But always with mercy and grace first. But he says, I tried to show mercy. I tried to show grace to Jezebel. I tried to reason with her. I tried to get her to repent. For a long time, I was patient with her. She refuses to repent of what she's doing. She refuses to repent. Okay, then she'll get what she wants. No longer grace and mercy from the judge, but judgment. Jezebel, you're going to be bedridden for the rest of your life. You're tempting my people to go and go to bed with prostitutes and, uh, and uh, prostitute themselves before me and commit adultery against me. Now you're going to be bedridden for the rest of your life. And for anybody that follows you and they don't repent, similar tribulations is coming their way. And for those who are totally on your side and have completely abandoned me and now are attacking me, my opponents and my enemies, to those who are unwilling to repent no matter what and are now fighting me and making my people go astray, to, they, to them, I proclaim death. That's strong language, isn't it? Like, I've never heard in the Bible somewhere where Jesus says, I'm going to kill enemies of the church. That's strong language. Like, I, I, was, I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, shoot, did he really say that? Like, is this really Jesus saying that? That sounds strong. That's a little harsh. Like, the, 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 the punishment intensifies from bedridden to tribulations to death. And it's like, he'll bring it upon the children of Jezebel, <laughs> those who are loyal to her to death. He's going to bring this death. He's going to kill 
the church that was just compromising and tolerant and is not willing to repent is going to kill believers or making faithful believers go astray. That's strong language. Now, this made me think in my life and perhaps in your life. You know, if your life is frustrated in any way, if maybe life is harder than it should be, just just maybe, maybe it's not, but, but just maybe we have to consider the fact that Jesus might be doing that to get our attention. Just like he did with Jezebel, to show mercy and grace, to bring us back into repentance. You know, we can fool the whole world. We cannot fool Jesus. We can rationalize sin and even lie to ourselves in thinking that we're not sinning. We cannot fool Jesus. Jesus says, I see through every heart. I know your heart and mind. I'm the God. I have the eyes of fire. I see through everybody. I know who, who has committed adultery against me. I know who's just saying with their lips all the right things, but in their hearts they're worshiping the pagan God. I know who doesn't love me anymore. I know who doesn't have affection. I know who's cheating against me. I know who has committed adultery. But despite the fact that you committed adultery, I'm still coming to you to reason with you. Stop and come to me. But if you don't, if you don't, if you refuse my grace and my mercy and you don't repent, then there's nothing more I can do for you. Rather than judge and discipline. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? That Jesus would kill the enemy because they are straying the faithful believers. You know this. Uh, we had a recently we had a shooting, right? Uh, like we prayed earlier here uh, in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children died and two teachers died. We've had one almost every week. Uh, it's crazy what's happening in our country. But this one really hit home. This one really uh, deeply saddening and emotional and painful because they were children. And it resonated with me much more because I have children around the same age. And uh, I was listening to an interview of one of the dads who lost his daughter uh, to murder and uh, who, who got shot and killed uh, during the shooting. And I'm paraphrasing now, but this dad, he was in and out of tears and emotionally, of course, he was all over the place. How can you not be? But he said, you know, right now, right now, the only thing I would like right now is I wish I was there. I wish I was there the moment right before my daughter got shot. I wish I was, I wish I was there with a gun to shoot and kill the killer. That's real love. That's real love. When there's a threat to your loved one, and you're willing to go as far as killing that threat so that they can live. Now, that's real love. That's what a real loving father would do if their child is under great threat, about to be killed by a terrorist. Then, then the most loving thing is to kill the enemy. So when Jesus uses language like this, you, we, you, and, I, you and I need to see that it's bathed in grace and mercy and love. We tolerate because we don't love as much. 
we love ourselves more, so the easy path is to tolerate, not to confront, not to kill the enemy. Well, you, should, you shouldn't kill anybody, by the way, but tol- tolerating is always easy. It's more about us. We don't want discomfort. We don't want to be disliked. We just tolerate it. But if you really, really love, you will confront. If you really see your loved one in danger, you will do something about it. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's the warning that he has for you and for me today. You know, in the same story of Jezebel in the Old Testament, I'm sure you, if you've been to church a long time, you remember this story because it's a, it's a very famous story. There's a story of uh, the prophets of Baal and Elijah having a challenge to see who the real God is. (laughs) Remember that? Elijah was like, the people of God, because of Jezebel, they have already strayed and they were worshiping the prophets of, they were were, uh, worshiping Baal and they were like siding with the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah, in hopes of, you know, uh, in hopes of uh, getting the hearts of the people back to God, he says, okay, okay, you know what? Let's have a duel. Let's see who the real God is. 450 versus one. <laughs> 400 prophets from Baal versus one prophet of God, Elijah. Let's see who wins. Let's ask whoever the true God is to rain fire down from heaven. And whoever, you know, God answers that prayer, that's the real God. <laughs> Remember the prophets of Baal? They're for hours and hours crying and praying, cutting themselves to do whatever possible to get Baal to answer nothing. Elijah starts to mock them. Hey, are you done? Like, can I, can I wake up now? Is it my turn now? Like, is your God, you know, going to sleep? Where is he? Like, he's not showing up. <laughs> and then when Elijah comes up, he says, you know, can, I actually, can you actually pour water on, on, the, on the wood? Like, actually three times. <laughs> and then he prays. And God sends down. Apollo is not the real God. Baal is not the real God. Jesus is the Son of God. Only the true God answers prayer. And then Elijah said to the people of God, you saw what happened today? If you think the Lord is God, then you follow him. You do not compromise. You do not tolerate. You stand strong proud as a Christian, no matter how much the culture changes, you do not bow to the gods of the culture. You do not tolerate, you know, you love the culture, you witness and everything, but you stand strong, solid in your faith, in a loving way, like Jesus did, without tolerating, without compromising, without joining the culture. If God is the Lord, you follow him. If Baal is God, then you follow him. That's the choice Elijah gave to the people of God after they saw what happened. That's the choice and the challenge that Jesus is giving to you and me as Christians living in our times and to your church 